Welcome to Coffee Over Suicide, the dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. I'm your host, Chris Parker Howard. And today on the show, from scatteringhope.com, we have got Crystal Partney. Uh, Scattering Hope is a fantastic organization that she created to help families and other people deal with the loss of someone who's died by suicide. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a cause that is near and dear to my heart, probably yours if you're here listening to this. Um, you should go check it out. There's a lot of really cool stuff there. There's, uh, there's a free guide that you can get right off of the homepage. And we're going to get into this conversation in a minute. Um, but before we do, I want to thank everybody who has found us on meetup.com uh, and joined the Thursday meetup. We now have people from all over the world. You should join us. If you're listening to this right now, uh, go to meetup.com, look for Coffee Over Suicide, and there is a Thursday meetup. There are two of them every Thursday, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. It, uh, it's a good time. It's like group therapy without a therapist. Uh, so sometimes it's fun and people are having a great time. And sometimes people really got to be talked off a ledge and we just help each other. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, amazing thing. Come be a part of it. Drop in for 20 minutes. See if you like it. Um, you can also find that at coffeeoversuicide.com slash talk. Now, uh, another thing I want to address is the fact that the podcast episodes have been kind of erratic. Totally get it. I am going to school right now. I am working a full-time job uh, and I'm running the Thursday meetups and I'm going to the gym and I'm doing all kinds of things, just trying to improve my life. I've actually also uh, got Coffee Over Suicide sponsoring a music festival in Saginaw, Michigan um, this summer. Uh, so I'll be, uh, I'll be taking part in that in some fashion as well, but... Enough of all that stuff. Let's get into this conversation. This is a really uh, heavy conversation, but uh, very rewarding. So if you can make it through a conversation that's pretty heavy, pretty steeped in talk about suicide and things of that nature, I think that you'll come out the other side feeling grateful that you stayed. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with the great... Crystal Partney. Crystal, good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Where am I talking to you from? You are talking to me from Utah. Nice. What's the weather like right now? Is it snowy or? (laughs) Well, they say we have the greatest snow on earth, yet we don't have any snow. So (laughs) (laughs) it's really unusual lately. We've been 
We've been warm and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a really crazy winter so far. But, um, I will say that we desperately need some snow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's, there's something to, uh, just kind of being grateful for whatever kind of weather you've got at any given moment and just sort of trying to find a way to lean into it and, I remember, uh, I'm in California now, but I'm originally from Michigan and then Colorado. And so uh, that idea of, especially in Colorado, the snow would come and we'd have, you know, several inches in the morning and it would be gone by the afternoon. Uh, So my relationship with snow in Colorado was very different, different than it was when I was in Michigan, which was it showed up either on Halloween or Thanksgiving, and then it was there until March. Right. Uh, just <laughs> snow all the time. So, you know, a, a six of one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. You said Colorado, because we lived in Colorado. Me and my husband lived in Colorado for a couple of years. So, small world. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. You, you do find when you talk to people that there's always something that you've got in common. It's, it's just, uh, I mean, we're all just, uh, you know, ants in a colony, just, we are, <laughs> around. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I know we're going to, we're going to take some, some deep dives into some, uh, pretty gnarly territory. Um, but I think that it's important for me when we have these conversations that are that are a little serious that we kind of represent the whole picture versus just uh the darkness because i feel like when you just go into the darkness you run the risk of uh presenting a picture of hopelessness um rather than uh maybe even just a, a a situation where there's there's so much more going on even if you're not always aware of it so i i I'd, I'd like to start off by going back uh to the beginning of things tell me about uh what was your childhood like uh with your sister yeah well it's a, a- Great way to start, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so I grew up in a large family. I am the youngest of eight. And my sister Gina was the oldest daughter. And so it's <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's like an, an even split, if you will. There's It goes my two brothers um, and then my sister Gina and then... Um, two more brothers and then my sister, Rachel, and then my uh, brother and then, and then me. That's, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So family gatherings, as you can imagine, having this all together was a little bit chaotic and fun to say the least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it it was great and we i just remember like so many family gatherings whether it was you know family reunions you know back in back in the day those were a thing and yeah my my dad was very he, he you know he was grew up in a very tight knit family and that was 
that was their thing. They did, you know, hunting and fishing and, and what have you, you know, it was just a very tight, tight family. And it's one of the things that I remember about my childhood and just, I still, I love it. (laughs) And it's so great. Even now, now that I have a family of my own and, and allowing our daughter to, you know, be around her cousins and just have fun like that, but have that free spirit. So it's, it's good. How, how did your parents manage to, I mean, take you places and, and I mean, <laughs> right? without leashes. I, I mean, know. just that's, that's because I, I, I've got, I've got, uh, two kids, um, three now, uh, cause one was inherited through, uh, through my wife, but I mean, they're, they're all adults now, but like, uh, when, when there were two of them, it was so hard to pay attention and, I grew up in a family with uh, uh, two sisters and a brother. So there was just four of us. And even that, just trying to wrangle everybody. uh, I I can't even imagine the amount of love and patience that would have to go into that. Oh, absolutely. I I always joke. I I tell everybody, I'm like, my mom's a saint. She wouldn't (laughs) openly admit that, but she would have to be if she's raising eight kids and the chaos that comes alongside of it. I, (laughs) I laugh because my mom, you know, talks about when, you know, all of us were little, we like her only alone time, if you will, (laughs) was she, my dad would come home from work. He owned his own business. So he would get Mm -hmm. off work and then come home and there was that kind of sweet spot before dinner and he would gather up all the kids and we would go to the playground or wherever just to get out of the house. (laughs) And that was like my mom's like kind of quiet time. And then when we all went to bed, she has, she's a night owl. (laughs) So she loved to stay up, but that was like her, her sanity time. (laughs) So it's funny because of course I don't remember any of that, but she's like, yeah, that was like my time away from you guys. (laughs) And and it was like heavenly. (laughs) So, and we, you know, it's funny because my mom would joke. She's like, we never went out to eat. It was very rare because you can imagine trying to feed, you know, eight kids at a Chinese restaurant would be like insanity and impossible. (laughs) So there was a lot of, you know, if we did go out to eat, it was like buffet style, right? Because mom would be like, I don't care. You guys can get whatever you want and have as much as you want. And I don't have to worry about it. (laughs) So it's just like it as part of the fun. (laughs) It's, it's wonderful that, you all had each other like that. It was, it, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of good times there. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, my mom would, would joke too, because whenever she said, whenever I had a new baby at home, your dad would take all of you guys and go fishing in Montana. And Mm. (laughs) it was like, and my sister jokes, my sister Rachel jokes, because she's like, Yeah, I remember, like, going fishing with Dad, and there was one time where he just, like, he just, like, had to go do something, and so we were all, like, playing near the water, and 
we were all safe, but then this uh, blow snake came up and was like, and so they were poking sticks at it, not knowing that it was extremely venomous. And yeah, <laughs> but they were just kids, you know. And the dad came back, and it was just like, yep. And my my sister actually funny story. My sister Gina on a fishing trip, she managed to get a fishing lure. She hooked my dad in his thumb, <laughs> and it must have been so bad, at least from what I've heard <laughs> from the stories, <laughs> that the fishing lure was stuck in there so bad when he went to the the local doctor there, the, the clinic, that yeah. he, he took it out for free because it was wedged in there so bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, never a dull moment. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. So, it, it, tell me a little bit about Gina. What what kind of what kind of personality was she in the mix of uh, of all of you? Because yeah. everybody starts to develop their own personalities when it's. I mean, in any family dynamic, people sort of start to fill roles. Yes. and you had a lot of people. Yes. And so where where was where was Gina's niche in that? Oh my goodness. She was full of just piss and vinegar. I mean, <laughs> that's my mom was like she was so feisty and she was, you know, she was not only the oldest girl, but she had to like hold her own before, you know, because yeah. there were two older brothers, and so she had to hold her own in the midst of of all this. And then, of course, my siblings came after, and so, which made it even more so that Gina had to like, hey, this is my territory. Like, this is I'm going to be, you know, make my voice known and heard. And <laughs> that's <laughs> how my mom described her, and it it's so true. Even you know, when I think about her, she was just this ball of energy, like the Energizer bunny, like no slowing down. It was just go, go, go. And it was one of the things that I just absolutely loved about her. <laughs> so, uh, and how did that, how did that manifest into adulthood? Because you, you take all that energy, um, you know, people, uh, people with that kind of energy can go a lot of different ways. Uh, what was what was her situation like um kind of getting off into her own and and you know going out into the world well it was definitely interesting <laughs> to say the least <laughs> she it, it, what i recognized too especially towards the towards the end of her life is we all worked for my family-owned business, and it really showed up in her work ethic. And even before she, before she passed, it showed up because she was just a go-getter. Like there was no, like whatever needed to be done, she would just do it. She wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to ask her to do something. Like she would just notice a problem and she would go fix it. And she was constantly, like, just a helper and wanting to, to serve other people and be, like, active in her community, in her church, in, you know, in, in our family. And, 
you know, being married and having, you know, three kids as well. Just a very active mom, very in her, in her realm, in her space. And she was always like, she was so educated in the sense that it's like, I remember having my daughter and, you know, being a new mom. I'm like, okay, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Nobody was, but (laughs) where's the manual? You know, there's no manual, but she, she, I remember her giving me a bunch of like children's books and there were just these little tiny picture books. And she was just educating me on, you know, I'm reading these to my daughter and my daughter was really little, you know, she was a newborn, but she says, go ahead and read these to her now because when she gets older, she can use her fingers to open up the pictures so she can see and, and that helps build dexterity. And so little things like that, that I was like, wow, okay. And she was just, you know, so knowledgeable and just, again, that fiery personality no one was going to tell her no. <laughs> no one was going to, you know, you weren't going to, like, double-cross Gina. Like, she was like, nope, <laughs> this is how it is. And and she was definitely, like, made her voice known. And, and again, it was, it, it was really hard to, I would say, tame that down. For her, yeah. especially because when she would get in different situations and she had to be calm or she had to be more reserved, that was really hard for her, as you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like she was a person that you could look at and think, man, she's really got something figured out here. <laughs> it's It's kind of... It's kind of amazing and 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 heartbreaking in a lot of ways. the The way that we can look at other people and assign all of these ideas about who they are to us and what we think they are versus what they think they are, and the situation that they think they're in versus what we think they're in, and. I think that these conversations are just sort of starting to creep into the mass consciousness. It's always been a thing that we've been discussing, um, particularly here in America, just, just getting to this idea of being able to talk about mental health things um, and and people having issues, uh, e- even if they're, you know, not like a... Uh, say like a, a clinical thing, like a, like a depression or a bipolar or uh, something like that, but situational. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a situation can come in and just hit you really, really hard and cause you to have a mental health crisis. Yeah. So what were the conversations about mental health like uh, in your, in your family growing up and, and just kind of as you came into adulthood, what was your, what was your understanding of these things? Well, it's, it's interesting that you frame the question that way, because I think, you know, I should preface this by saying my parents 
did the best they could in regards oh, yeah, to you know mental health and and dealing with with the only way that they knew how and so it's easy to you know look at it in today's context and say oh well you know of course you know going to see a therapist or going to see a counselor or whatever is beneficial to you is so natural now but it yeah. wasn't when i was a kid and it was this subject that nobody really wanted to talk about it was kind of like the elephant in the room nobody wants to talk about it but yet it's happening and even just the word suicide like you just didn't hear about it it was yeah. something that i obviously i'm sure occurred but it wasn't in like daily conversation or even around like the dinner table conversation. And right. so I think that it's and mental health in, in general growing up was, was something that, you know, my parents, they, they always had an open door policy is, is how I would describe it. You can, you know, go to them for any, any issue. Nothing was off the table. And if you were struggling to, you know, again, just make that known. But there was also, you know, again, carrying that stigma forward and, and, and knowing like, okay, what's kind of off the table? What's off limits to talk about? Or, and it really just depends on the family dynamic if you feel comfortable sharing those very intimate thoughts and those very intimate details about you and what you're experiencing yeah. and thinking about. But it was something that I would just say, like, it wasn't talked about. It was, it, it was kind of a little bit taboo in, in my opinion, just because yes, it was occurring, but we just didn't hear about it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I say to people too, when they, when they are in that, that kind of situation is I, I had a pretty unique situation myself where I was sort of a, uh, uh, I mean, I'm wired for it. I, I've got bipolar. And so I, I became very aware of that, uh, kind of feeling from the age of five years old. I was a little kid when my first thoughts of, of suicide entered my head. And, um, and my father was a substance abuse counselor. So he went through all of the, all of the levels of counseling and learning how to recognize these things. Um, and we were also a very open family with, uh, you know, just being able to get into difficult things, but we never talked about it. And even when I went into the hospital, we didn't really talk about it. And, and I'm not really sure why. And I don't think that it was anything to do with a lack of love or uh, a lack of information even. But I think that there was a, almost a level of fear when these things presented their, their ugly head into the room there was a level of, I really don't want to speak its name because then it becomes real. Right. And hopefully we can just move straight to how do we fix it? 
and not talk about how we got here? Can we not talk about how we got here? <laughs> because that's painful. Uh, and the, the people that I've lost to, to this thing as well, um, it's the same thing. It's, it's a difficult conversation to have. And so that, that's why I think that it's very important that we start to have it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So tell me a little bit uh, about, uh, tell me a little bit about how you discovered, um, the, the passing of your sister, Gina. Yeah. Uh, it was the day before my birthday in 2019. I received a phone call that morning from my mom saying that she had taken her life. And as you can imagine, we were just completely devastated and heartbroken. And that was not the conversation that I expected to have. We, we knew that my sister was struggling and she was, you know, newly divorced after being married for you know, close to, I want to say two decades. It might have been longer than that. And her children are, you know, were in their teenager, teenage years and they wanted to live with their dad, which he lives three hours away. And so I just remember having conversations with my sister and just watching her, you know, struggle being newly single. And navigating the complexities of being a single mom and having her children choose to live with their dad and really, that sounds kind of tragic and it is tragic when I think about it, but, but not really wanting to spend time around her as, as often as I'm sure she would have liked and as absolutely what she would have needed. But that morning, as you can imagine, you know, getting the phone call from my mom and, and having her express that tragic, this, this tragedy was just absolutely devastating. We, as a family, were just desperate to get her the help that she needed. And she was seeing a therapist. She was on medication, but we later found out that she had stopped all of that completely. And so just leading up to her death, unknowingly, we had really thought she had turned a corner for the, for the better because she was back to her fiery self and she would have these moments and we'd say, ah, she's back. She's back. And it was kind of like this breath of fresh air because like we had talked about in the beginning where there was this period of darkness and I, I kind of alluded to seasons where it's like, and I would tell her this, I'm like, Gina, this is just a season. This isn't going to last forever. This is just a season and, and we need to, you know, come together as a family and help you and support you in any way that we can so that you can get to spring because that's what we want for you and we love you. And like I said, unknowingly that spring wouldn't come for her. Yeah. When someone 
when someone takes their own life, uh, it, it sets off an atom bomb in the center uh, of the space that they held and radiates in a circle to every person they've touched. And it, it, it leaves all of these questions and, uh, and people start to try to uh, make sense of the narrative of it by trying to recognize the patterns and the things that, you know, this could have gone this way and this could have gone this way and really tear it apart and try to understand it from that perspective. And I think that while there can be some value in that for trying to prevent something like that happening again, I think that there's also a very, very uh, important conversation to be had about uh, the fact that things went the way that they did and there's not any value in putting the blame on yourself or the other people uh, uh, around. It's, it's a, it's a tragedy that happened, but kind of trying to, to hurt ourselves or each other doesn't help. Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and you really can put yourself in a, a pretty negative space by, you know, trying to uh, take some of that blame. And, and people will try to take some of that blame as a way of controlling the situation and finding in a, in a very dark way, finding some peace in it because then they can reconcile it. Uh, Oh, now that I know that it's my fault, I am able to, I'm able to assign some blame somewhere. I'm able to find some peace in it. And of course that's wrong. And this is, this is very fresh for you still. And, and, and I, I appreciate your bravery and your honesty in talking about this. I really do, because I think it matters so much for people to hear these things and to hear these stories about very real people who had very real lives. Uh, this isn't just for a, a, a subset. I mean, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all susceptible to uh, the world around us and the people who touch us and, and uh, our own head and our own feelings. So as you start to navigate these things uh, and you've got young children, how do you have these conversations? Uh, how do you have these conversations with your daughter it was that something that was I, I imagine that had to be very difficult to do. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And you know, when this tragedy occurred, that was the first thing that entered my mind is how am I gonna tell our daughter that yeah. you know, Aunt Gina has died, let alone how she passed. And yeah. I to be completely honest, Chris, I didn't want it. <laughs> I yeah. told my husband, I said, I don't know if I want to. I don't know how. There, you know, again, there's no manual here. 
Yeah. Especially when it comes to suicide and, and how do I tell my daughter she had just turned three of yeah. in January of that year and my sister passed away in March. And so how do you tell a three year old that her her aunt has died? And it was actually a beautiful a beautiful story and I'll share that with you if you don't mind. Please. I, you know, again, was wrestling with the idea of telling her and, you know, do I tell the truth? Do I tell her what happened? And I just really felt strongly like, yes, I need to tell her the truth. I'm not sure how I'm going to tell her, but I need to tell her the truth. And she, I was in the bathroom and she came up to me. I would say it was at least a couple days later. It was definitely after my birthday. So the next day. And she came up to me and she says, mommy, why have you been crying? And I said, honey, I'm just really sad. And she says, why? And I said, well, I said, honey, Aunt Gina has died. And she looked at me and says, why? And I said, well, I said, honey, she was just really sad. And then she started to smile. And I said, honey, why are you smiling? And, you know, I just told you Aunt Gina has died. Why are you smiling? And she goes, well, does that mean that she's with Grandpa Lanny? And that's my dad. My my dad passed away in 2013 uh, from health complications. And I said, yeah, yeah, she's with Grandpa Lanny. And she got this big smile on her face and she said, okay. And she ran out of the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, okay, that just happened. That went far better than I expected. I have to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I was not prepared for that reaction. But in that moment, it was, it was like this just wash of, of peace. This wave of peace came over me. And it was like, okay, it's going to be okay. She is yeah. in such good company right now that I don't have, yes, I'm incredibly sad. Everybody's sad, but it brought a lot of peace to know that she wasn't alone. And yeah. that, that in itself, I just, if you've experienced this tragedy yourself, to really grasp hold of that concept that they are not alone, that they are in good company. They are surrounded by friends and family and other loved ones and pets. And they're not, you know, they are in good company. And it's like, oh, okay, I can be sad. I can be mad at times. I can be all these things. But Again, just going back to the peace of knowing that she is safe, that she is, is, is going to be okay. I think that children can really uh, frame things in such a way that we tend to overcomplicate all the time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they, <laughs> they have no filter. And that's one of the reasons yeah. why I love having little kids at this time is they just say it like it is, and that can be good and bad, but <laughs> mostly <Yeah>. good. <laughs> I, I think that that's it's just incredibly wonderful, and you make a really fantastic point 
and this idea that uh, you know none of us are none of us are ever alone ever now or after <laughs> we are uh, we are exactly where we need to be when we need to be there and sometimes things happen that are beyond our control and the best thing that we can possibly do for ourselves or the people around us uh, is to just love with both arms wide open uh, and just accept things as they come. It's, it, it's pretty difficult to remain guarded and uh, kind of, a, kind of afraid of things uh, because of what might happen. And heartbreak is a big one. That's a real big one. Um, conversations around heartbreak and how to manage that and how to soothe that uh, when it happens. I know when uh, when I got divorced, I I just one of the first things I did was I got all of the alcohol out of the house because I thought I, I there's no way I'm going to pour more sadness on top of this sadness. It's because I'm not going to make it through it if I do. Right. And it was, it was hard. I, I got the sickest I've ever been in my life. My body basically gave out. I, I was, I was in rough shape and that was, that was a choice. I mean, we, we had a choice. We could try to stick it out and figure things out, or we could, we could split up and, and, and even though the split up was mutual, it's, it's pain. There's a lot of pain because, I mean, I, I was married for about 10 years. That's a decade of your life with somebody. I have children with this person. Uh, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to manage. And I imagine, too, with Gina's kids, that there's a lot of feelings that have got to be reckoned with. And so long as the people in their lives are open to listening when they talk and that they know that the people in their lives are open to listening when they talk and how they feel, they'll get through it just fine. It's just going to, like you said, it's a season. It's, it's going to take some time. We've all got these things in our lives. And it's just a matter of who are we going to show up as today? And maybe today you show up as the person who gets dressed and and goes out into the world. And maybe today you show up as the person who says, I'm going to stay in bed a little bit longer because I need that. And then tomorrow we'll see what happens. <laughs> as long as you keep getting up yes. and you keep showing up, that's what matters. Yeah. And, you know, Simon said, like, you know, find your why that's can't, mm -hmm. that's so prevalent, especially after a tragedy like this, that to find your why. And for me, of course it was my daughter. I didn't, and not just my daughter, but my whole family. And, but I didn't realize the, the gravity of, of the situation until yeah. that, that morning where she was asking me, you know, why I was crying so badly. And I realized it's not just me. It's not just me. Yeah. And she is looking to me, not only for answers, but how did I cope with this? How did I, you know, 
just handle the loss of my sister? And did I, you know, stay in bed if I needed it? Or did I, you know, on the flip side, did I stay in bed or, and crumble at the weight of, of what's happened? Or did I turn yeah. it and say, okay, look, if by telling my sister's story, my, my hope is that you'll see yourself in, in her story. You'll recognize maybe things about her that you see in yourself, that she can be a mirror to you and yes. allow yourself to say, okay, uh, I recognize this in myself and, and Gina might've felt this way too. And, and the, the, my prayer again is that you would see bits and pieces of, of your own life in her story and in her life to, to take action and say, okay, look, I don't have to have it all figured out, but I am going to reach out for help. I am going to, yeah. you know, continue to find that hope that we, that we all need. Well, and one of the things that you've done is you've taken some action in your life. You've, you've decided that this was something that you care about so deeply that you're going to, you're going to do something with it. So tell me a, a little bit about uh, the things that you chose to do in the aftermath. Sure. Yeah, it, and it certainly wasn't easy. I, I've got to be honest. I fought it yeah. for a long time, but I have no doubt it was Gina just pressing on me and saying, no, Crystal, I want you to do this. And I would argue with her and be like, no, I don't, I don't want to do this because it's not a conversation that anybody wants to have, quite frankly. But it, it wouldn't go away. She, <laughs> she is very persistent. And I just kept getting that impression on my heart and on my spirit to start my company, Scattering Hope. And Scattering Hope's mission is to help families heal after losing a loved one to suicide. And while I was navigating that and figuring out, like, okay, this is how I want it to look and feel, I, I got another download. <laughs> I got another uh, inclining on my heart to say, okay, Crystal, I also want you to focus on suicide prevention. And I want you to do it in a very loving way that allows people to have the conversation around mental health and around suicide in a very open and gentle way, but ultimately and ultimately allows them to know that they are loved because remembering my own journey and remembering my sister's journey and the interactions that we would have together because we were very close, especially towards the end, we were very close. And I would just have conversations with her and just letting her know how much she was loved. I could see this, this visual like shift inside of her, this energy shift of, when I would tell her, Gina, you are so loved and I love you and please let me know how I can support you and help you in any way. I noticed that and I wanted to recreate that same experience for other people 
to, to have that conversation and say, Hey, you know what? I see you and I struggle and I see that you're struggling and I just wanted to let you know that I'm here and, you know, please reach out, please, um, please stay. <laughs> I'm very, yeah. please stay. Like, we need you to stay. As we're getting out of here, before we do, I, I wanted to do this. Do you have uh, a particular memory uh, of your sister that you can, it doesn't even have to be anything that makes a lot of sense, uh, but a particular memory that you can tap into where uh, it, it makes you happy to remember it. Like what's a, what's a good one. If you wouldn't mind sharing just something, something wonderful. Yeah. Oh, of course. And <laughs> I'm happy to share. There's, there's lots of memories <laughs> of my sister, but I will say the one that I, I tend to share most frequently and it, it also unknowingly was the Christmas before she passed away. She, I was out Christmas shopping for my family and I came across this wooden sign. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to give that for Gina. And as I shared, I'm the youngest of eight, so there's no way I could buy Christmas presents for my siblings, let alone all their spouses and their children. It would just, there's, that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, but I saw this and I was like, I have to get this for her. And so it was funny because I, she was living in my parents' basement at the time. And mm -hmm. I, I went down in the basement and I said, Gina, I got you a Christmas gift. And she's like, what? You got me a Christmas gift? And I was like, I know, I know. We don't typically do these sorts of things because, you know, <laughs> all of us would be broke if that was the case. But yeah. I saw this and, and I just immediately thought of you. So I got it. So I gave it to her and she started to cry. And what it says on this beautiful wooden sign is find your happy. And I just took that moment and just expressed to her my feelings and my thoughts. And I just said, Jean, you know, I, I see you. I, I just wanted to let you know that I see you. I, I don't know what it's like to be newly divorced and have your children choose to live with their dad and not even live close to you. And when they are with you, you know, being on their phone or whatever. And, and the, I just, you know, new, newly single and dating and all the complexities that come along with that. And I, I don't know what that's like, but I just wanted to let you know that I see you. And she, I, I made her cry. <laughs> she said she did. She started to cry. And it was in that moment that I realized with her that I finally, someone finally saw her, like truly yeah. saw her and let alone a family member, like truly like taking the time to say, Hey, I see you. And, and I know it might sound silly, like a little wooden sign that cost me like, I don't know, $7. <laughs> But yeah. the power that I experienced 
of that moment between her and I and, and just acknowledging her and just saying like, I don't know what this is like, but you know, please let me know how I can help you. Cause I do want you to find your happy. And, and obviously if the, if things were different, I would tell her to please stay and find her reasons for staying. And, and just remember that it's a season, but, but for her, like that was, that's a memory that I'll always cherish. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks for talking to me today. You're welcome. It's been a, a, my pleasure. Wasn't that great? I told you, if you stick around to the end, you're going to be rewarded with a great conversation. And I cannot thank her enough for her openness and her uh, uh, gumption to get going and make something out of this tragedy to try to help other people, because that's what it's all about. We're all here to help each other, right? If you want to get some more crystal in your life, and I know that you do, go to scatteringhope.com. There's links to all of the socials everywhere. You can find her on Instagram. You can actually even get yourself a free healing guide. All you got to do is go and check it out. As for me, please come check me out every Thursday. Go to meetup.com. Look for Coffee Over Suicide or coffeeoversuicide.com slash talk. And you can be a part of the conversation. But until next week... Don't kill yourselves out there.